Jesus, you are mighty to save. And so we pray that you would give us wisdom, give us courage, so that we can live our lives for you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I recently read some interviews with some of the oldest people alive, and they were asked a series of questions. One woman who is 120 years old, so she was born when Benjamin Harrison was president, she was asked to describe her vision for the future. She said, very brief. <laughs> Another woman was asked, what was the greatest benefit of living to be 102 years old and without missing a beat? She said, no peer pressure. Well, wouldn't that be nice? No peer pressure. Do you ever feel pressure to do or be something that you don't want to do or be? Maybe your neighbors get a brand new car and you're kind of satisfied with yours, but you look at their car and you think, hmm, I need a car like that. Or maybe it's pressure in the office from your boss to work 70, 75 hours a week at the expense of your fam family life. One summer during college, I had a job at an insurance company and it was just this weird office. Whenever anyone would leave the room, everyone else in the office would start to gossip about the person that just left until they came back. And then when another person left, everyone would gossip about that person. I never wanted to leave that room. <laughs> but I would join in the gossip from time to time all the same because of the peer pressure. And then I'd always be disappointed in myself and I'd think, man, I do not want to be this kind of person. Do you ever feel that way? Or do you ever hear stories about heroic people like Martin Luther King Jr. or William Wilberforce who worked in the slave trade in England? Or watch a movie like Braveheart and do you think, I want to be like that. I want to be the kind of person, I don't want to be the kind of person who gossips or lies or is fearful. I want to be heroic. Well, the good news is that we can be. We can be heroes, and that's the right word. People who are filled with courage, integrity, power, victory, and joy. And the story we read today shows us how. Now, last week, if you were here, we talked about how the Babylonian Empire conquered Jerusalem and took many of the Jews into captivity into Babylon for 70 years. It's called the exile. And God used the exile to refine the Israelites to get rid of some of their destructive behaviors. Things like neglect for the poor or idol worship or child sacrifice. And the very famous story that we read today, you know, if you went to Sunday school, you heard this story. The Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, makes a giant golden statue. And he tells everyone to bow down to the statue or be thrown into a fiery furnace. That's peer pressure. Now, we don't know what the statue was of. Maybe it was of himself. Maybe a pagan god. As a preacher, I like the fact that it's not specified because it allows me to ask the preacher question. What's your statue? What is it in our culture that makes you feel pressure to cave in, to bow down to it? Is it workaholism? Is it pressure to look a certain way according to our culture's definitions of physical beauty? I know one man who whenever he goes on a business trip, the other men on his team always pressure him to join them and go to some strip clubs. Doesn't want to do it. Is it cultural pressure to make sure your kids are hyper-achieving, you know, in every sport, straight A's, all that stuff? What are the cultural idols you feel pressure to bow down to? And then what are the results when you do bow down? Usually it's misery. We end up workaholics who never see our families, or we, have, we, we, we worry that we don't look a certain way or have a certain income or have a certain house or whatever. 
Well, the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show us how to be heroes who can resist all of those cultural pressures. And the first way is this. we got to pick the right battle. These three men know how to pick the right battle. They, they accommodate with the culture in many ways. They're government officials. They would have been in their 20s at this point. They're government officials, which means they have a lot of wealth, a lot of power, very comfortable lifestyle. Bible doesn't say that's wrong. Bible says that's fine. We also know from chapter 1 that they had their names changed from their Hebrew names, which meant beautiful, holy things like God is gracious, God has helped, only God is God. They got their names changed to these funky Babylonian names, right? Which celebrate pagan gods. Each one of those names celebrate pagan gods. They didn't complain. They didn't put up a fuss. They didn't fight. In part because I think they're kind of cool names, right? Especially when you say them all together. And it's interesting how they always seem to move in a trio, but... You know, but as a kid, their names, got, as a kid I, their names confused me. I always thought that their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed he goes. I couldn't figure out why he'd been sent to bed. They don't bother about their name change. When I was in graduate school, uh, we, had, we had some friends who got married, and his last name was St. Amour. Her name was Allison Buttenheim, and she did not want to take his last name on principle, which is fine, right? Nothing wrong with that. But we kept saying, are you sure? I mean, you could go from being Allison Buttenheim to Allison St. Amour. You could write romance novels with that name. She said, no. Want my name? But they didn't mind their names being changed. They even went to pagan schools and were taught about pagan gods, and they didn't put up a fuss. But you could hardly accuse them of being wishy-washy compromisers when it came to faith, because when it came time to bow down to an idol, they said, we'd rather be thrown in a furnace. They knew the right battle. And I think we can learn from them, because I don't know about you, but sometimes I do, and maybe you do too. We as Christians, I think, sometimes take a stand on the minor issues and then cave into the culture on all the major issues. In my former church, there was this room called the sacristy, a word that I'd never heard before coming there. And it was really confusing to people who were new to the church when we'd say, it's in the sacristy. And they'd say, in the what? You know, where is that, right? And on Sundays, it was the room where the pastors would gather to prepare for the worship service. And I don't know who did this, but someone would always put all this amazing food, meats, cheeses, cookies, all this food on Sunday mornings in this room. And so one day, because of all this food, one day, instead of calling it the sacristy, I called it the snackistry. <laughs> Made sense to me, right? Well, unfortunately, it caught on, and everyone started calling it the snackistry. And to the point that one intern thought that was the actual name of the room. <laughs> well, this one person got really upset about that and said, you know what, Jesus calls us as Christians to be different than the rest of our culture. And using words like sacristy make us different. And I thought, no, it makes us weird. <laughs> Jesus' idea of being different is that we bring good news to the poor, that, that we care for them, that we forgive each other, that we partner with him in redeeming this world. That we have joy even in hard times. That's how Jesus calls us to be different. Not by using weird words. You know, sometimes as Christians, the way we decide to take a stand is, you know, listen to Christian radio, have a Christian fish on our car. And there's nothing wrong with those things. They're great. I do some of those things. Except for the fish on my car. Because the way I drive, that would send people away from Jesus. <laughs> ooh, is that how Christians drive? I don't, ooh, no, no. So before we go taking a stand, let's make sure it's the right battle. How do we know that, what that is? How do we figure that out? Three things. Pray about it. 
We don't have to do this on our own. God helps us figure this out. Second, is it a direct command of God's? If it is, we better take a stand. And then third, how does it complete this sentence? Jesus bled and died on a cross so that, fill in the blank. Jesus bled and died on a cross so that we would use the word sacristy. Ooh, that sentence doesn't make sense, does it? Jesus bled and died on a cross so that we would bring good news to the poor, partner with him in redeeming this world, forgive each other, care for each other, live fearless lives. When it makes sense in that sentence, those are the places we take our stand. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, idolatry was a non-negotiable. It violates two of God's top ten. And so even though they were wealthy, powerful, very comfortable, they didn't need those things to be happy. They were willing to lay it all down because it was the right battle. Try this prayer. Lord, give me the wisdom to know when not to compromise, when to take a stand, and then make me the kind of person who will lay it all down for you. Second way we become heroes of integrity is we realize that because of God, we have options. You know, a lot of times I think the reason that we cave into our culture's idols is we don't think we have a choice. We think, you know, I have to look like this or I have to work this much or keep up with the neighbors materially or else bad things will happen. But what Shadrach and his friends understand is that, is that we have options because of God. They say this great thing. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. That's a great line. Our God is able. And because of that, we have options. We don't have to keep up with the neighbors materially. Why? Because our God is able to give us joy even without a lot of stuff. We can ask our boss to work fewer hours in exchange for a lower salary so we can be with our families. Why? Because our God is able to supply our needs. We don't have to join in our culture's sexual brokenness. Why? Because our God is able to give us sexual wholeness and joy inside of a committed marriage. We don't have to bow down to the idols of our culture. Why? Because our God is able. If we were a different kind of church right now, y'all would say amen. Instead, you can just look pleasantly pleased. Our God is able, which means we have options. We don't have to cave in. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understand. And so they take this stand of faith. And what is their reward? Well, what happens next? Well, as the story goes on, Nebuchadnezzar is so moved by their courage, he sets them free and proclaims religious liberty throughout the land. It's a happy ending. Let's stand for the benediction. No? No, not how it goes, huh? They get tossed into the fiery furnace. Well, that's not inspiring. Does that mean if I don't bow down to the cultural idol of workaholism, I'll get fired? Hee <laughs> hee. Pun intended. If I don't bow down to the cultural pressure to buy more stuff or look a certain way or this or that, I'll be rejected, I'll be disliked, I'm going to get the furnace? Maybe. Maybe. But you'll also get some amazing rewards. You will also get some amazing rewards. When we do not bow down to our culture's idols, here's some things that we get in exchange. First, God meets us in the furnace. After they're thrown in the furnace, the text says, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we threw in the fire? Look, I see four men walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Who do you think that fourth man was? 
who can appear out of nowhere, who can cheat death, who looks like a son of a God? It's Jesus. And yes, I know historically Jesus hasn't been born yet. It's 500 years, you know, before. But you know what? Being God in the flesh, he's outside of time. He can do what he wants and show up where he wants. And throughout the Old Testament, you get all these previews of Jesus. And this is one of them. Jesus, who was crucified for not compromising his beliefs, he knows all about the furnace. And he meets them there. And the flames don't burn them. You see, sometimes God delivers us from the furnace. Sometimes the cancer is cured. You get the miracle job, whatever. Sometimes God delivers us from the furnace. Other times, God delivers us in the furnace. A friend of mine was a highly placed executive at a major company. And he discovered some accounting errors and reported them. And his boss said, oh, you know what? We had to hide some of our transactions in order to get an account in South America. But don't worry about it. This is how they do business down there. It's, it's okay. And my friend said, no, it's not. We are lying to this company, and I'm going to report it. And so he did. And as a reward, he was demoted. He went from supervising 500 people to supervising only three people and took a massive pay cut and humiliation. But his prayer throughout was, Lord, show me how to be a leader in the middle of this. Well, gradually, other people started coming to him to talk to him, people who'd also been hurt by this company, started to come and talk to him, and he would give them courage. What he would say to him, he had the same speech. He'd say, you know what? This is why I need Jesus. Because when you are walking down a stairwell in a well-lit building, you don't need a handrail. But if you are out on a boat in the middle of the ocean on a storm, and you're walking down a ladder, you hang on with everything you've got. And now he's finding this whole new purpose for his life, helping people who need encouragement. And my friend says, you know what? This is a cliche, but it's true. Jesus has never felt closer. I've never felt more meaning in life, and I've got peace. Jesus did not deliver him from the furnace. He delivered him in the furnace. And when you can have joy even in the furnace, now you're free because the flames don't touch you and no problem overwhelms you. Which brings me to the second thing we get when we refuse to bow to our culture's idols, and that is that we get refined. This is a major turning point in Israel's history. It was the sin of idolatry that got them into exile in the first place. And here, through these three men, Israel turns its back on idolatry forever. Never again from this point on do they worship false gods. Never again from this point on. They were transformed. You see, Jesus refines us in the furnace so that we become heroic people. That's why after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, our God is able to deliver us, they go on to say what I find just an inspiring line. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods. Those are the words of free men. And I don't know about you, but I want to be free like them. I, 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 I spend a lot of my time asking God to keep the furnace away from me. Make me safe, make me comfortable, make good things happen, make me happy. But there's a danger there to my soul. And the danger is this, that my whole life becomes about furnace avoidance. And I get afraid of even the lowest level of, you know, a little match, right? Freaks me out. And so my life shrinks down to me and mine, and that is a small world. That's why God refines us to the point where we no longer fear the flames, because then we're free. Which brings me to a third thing we get when we don't bow down to our culture's idols. And that is we get adventure. You know, you got to wonder, and I bet it's true, after they, you know, when Shadrach and Meshach were old men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were old men, you know, they got together for a little Babylon reunion or whatever, right? 
They might have worn their old robes, right? That, that is, if their wives hadn't thrown them away like my wife does with all my sacred clothing. She has no sense of history, tradition, or fashion, but, you know, I digress. They might have got together and said, remember the look on Nebuchadnezzar's face when he threw us in the furnace and we didn't burn up? <laughs> that was great. He looked so shocked. Right? They got an adventure. The man I told you about who reported the fraud and got demoted, one of the other things that happened to him was he had more time on his hands because he didn't have to work 80 hours a week anymore. So he started a nonprofit group that gets tutors and school supplies for needy children. And he's had teachers tell him that because of him, dozens of kids are now doing great in school, and because of that, they are headed out of the cycle of poverty because of him. He says that's way better than sitting in a board meeting. Go figure. He didn't cave in, he got demoted because of it, but he found an adventure. Don't you want an adventure? I mean, I want to, I do, I want an adventure, but here's my problem, maybe it's yours too. Here's my problem, I want a safe adventure. But there's no such thing, is there? Right, I mean, think of every adventure movie you've ever seen. I mean, how would it be if Indiana Jones went to Hawaii and found the lost ark on the beach and spent the rest of the movie drinking Mai Tais? Right? No fights, no battles. How would it be if Frodo just threw the ring in the trash can and then watched ESPN, right? <laughs> that is not an adventure. You see, you can't have adventure without venture. When we don't bow down to our culture's idols, God meets us in the furnace. He refines us. We get an adventure, and finally, we change lives. At the end of this story, because they weren't burned up, Nebuchadnezzar orders that the Jews be free to worship their God. So their one act of civil disobedience led to religious liberty for all kinds of people. We change lives. Heard a story about a man named Robert McQuilkin who was president of a university until his wife got Alzheimer's. And eventually he resigned as president in order to stay home and take care of her. Now, that is not always the right thing to do. Often Alzheimer's patients need professional care. But in his case, he felt it was something God was asking him to do. Well, people thought he was crazy. They said, you've got years left in your career. Why would you do this? This is his answer. In his words, he says this, because she is such a delight. I don't have to care for her. I get to. And she teaches me so much about love, for example. A while back, somebody had given us an Easter lily with two stems, four or five buds on each stem. One day, I came into the kitchen and saw that my wife had broken off one of the stems. Well, she means no harm and wouldn't remember a rebuke. Nevertheless, I did the irrational. I told her how disappointed I was, how the lilies would die, and said, please don't break off the other stem. The next day, our son came for a visit, and I told him about my rebuke of his mother and how badly I felt. As we sat there, she came to the door with the gift of love for me. She carefully laid out the other stem, which she had just broken off, and then smiled at me and went back into the house. I simply said, thank you. My son said, you're doing better, Dad. Muriel can't speak in sentences anymore, only in words, and often words that make little sense. But she can say one sentence, and she says it over and over. I love you. She not only says it, she acts it. I came across an advice column the other day that reflects our culture, where the writer left a relationship because it was no longer meeting his needs. I reflected on the irrelevance of that idea for me. Yes, there is deep grief in me and sorrow too, but had I not promised years before in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, till death do us part. I've been startled by the response to my resignation from my job. Husbands and wives renew marriage vows when they hear of it. Pastors tell the story to their congregations. 
It was a mystery to me until an oncologist said to me, you got to understand, almost all women stand by their men, but very few men stand by their women. Perhaps people sensed this and somehow were helped by a simple choice that I considered my only option. But it is no grim duty to which I stoically resign. On the contrary, Muriel is the joy of my life. And daily I discern new manifestations of the kind of person she is, the wife I have always loved. I also see fresh manifestations of God's love, the God I love, the God I long to love more fully. In a world where career is everything, and where sticking with someone when they aren't meeting our needs is no longer in fashion, he refuses to bow down to those idols. As a result, he is in the furnace, lost his job as president of a college. But God is meeting him in that furnace and refining him, and there is a death in his life that isn't in other people's lives, and he is finding joy in simple things like broken lily stems. And he is making a difference for her, for them, in other people's marriages, inspiring folks and giving them hope. So where are you bowing down to the idols of our culture? And what is it costing you in terms of stress and fear and worry? And what are the adventures you're missing? This week... Let's stop caving into those idols. I recently read a facetious definition of the word Christian, and it said, Christian, noun, one who believes that the New Testament is a divinely inspired book admirably suited to the spiritual needs of his neighbor. <laughs> definition two, one who follows the teachings of Christ insofar as they are not inconsistent with the life of sin. Here's the good news. That doesn't have to be true of us. We can be different than that. We do not have to give in. We do not have to be that way. We do not have to bow down to the idols of our culture because our God is able, which means that we have options, and he can deliver you from the furnace, and even if that doesn't happen, he will deliver you in the furnace, and he will make you a hero. And that is the right word, a hero who is filled with courage, integrity, power, adventure, meaning, purpose, joy, hope, heroes who make a difference, heroes who change lives in our families, offices, neighborhoods, in our world, heroes who are not thermometers registering the temperature of our culture, but people who are thermostats changing the temperature of our culture. I don't know about you, but I want to be a hero. And I bet you do too. So this week, let's not bow down to our culture's idols and let's watch what God does with that and see all the lives he changes because of it. And I bet one of the lives he's going to change is yours. So Jesus, make it so. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage, give us power to do this, and we'll be grateful. In your name, amen.